Welcome back to another episode of the Musketeer Report podcast. Paul Fritchner with Rick Broering and Rick. It was a one and one week for Xavier last week. I think we all predicted Xavier to go one and one last week, but they do it in a way that I don't think any of us could have predicted. Losing to Iowa State, who just a few minutes ago hopped into the top 25 rankings at number 19, and then beating Virginia Tech on a shorthanded week where like half the team was sick. And even the guys that did play looked visibly sick and Xavier goes and gets blown out on Wednesday night and then comes back and just digs deep and wins on Friday. And I think one place to start off here in in a big picture sense of the week is that I I saw it either on Twitter or on the message board. uh, And and I texted you about it too, right after the game. I think it was kind of a, a common running thought was Xavier went one and one on the week. Was it maybe a not the worst thing that the win came against Virginia Tech in that second game than if the win had come as a 20-point win? Now, maybe Iowa State ends up being some great team that we weren't expecting if they continue this momentum that they had last week. But do you feel like looking at this week as a whole, like maybe losing to Iowa State with all the circumstances that surrounded it, but then coming back to beat Virginia Tech that really that that isn't the worst thing in the world. Yeah, I think it's a, a net positive. And I'm looking at that from the perspective of knowing everything we know now, given that everyone was sick. I mean, yeah, if it was before <laughs> the tournament and we thought Xavier was uh, at full capacity and everything like that, then you say, well, yeah, you want to beat Iowa State, obviously, because you don't know how good they're going to be, and then get a shot at a top 10 team in Memphis, of course. But with the way it played out, knowing everybody just was not themselves quite clearly – except for maybe Nate Johnson in that second game. I don't think you really wanted to play Memphis. And if you win that first game against Iowa State, there's no guarantee that that's a quad one win on a neutral floor. So you lose that one. It's like, yeah, okay, that's not great. That's not how you wanted to go down, obviously. And they didn't play well, which we'll talk more about. And that's probably the more concerning thing there. But given that Iowa State's looking like they're probably not going to be a bad loss. I mean, maybe things will completely fall apart, but they clearly look better than they were last year when they only won two games. And you get to play that game against Virginia Tech, which obviously more winnable than Memphis, but also a much better style of play when you have guys that are sick and you don't have a lot of depth and you're missing some offensive firepower. It's much better to play a Virginia Tech team that wants to slow it down, play in the half court with you, as opposed to a Memphis team that wants to play fast, really pressure you, and I think would have exhausted Xavier's guards. So yeah, I think the way it worked out is you got a quad one win in that second game against a team that was a better matchup for you when you were down a few players and everybody was sick. And we'll see where the Iowa State loss ends up. It's it's not great, but I think it actually worked out in Xavier's case about as well as the week could have worked out for him, all things considered. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And it was funny watching on Friday night. It was funny watching the game and just realizing, kind of getting that picture and realizing how sick everybody, you could even see, and, and maybe I'm just reading into this too much, but you ever get that feeling like when you get a sore throat and you just, you can see somebody trying to swallow and it just visibly looks like they're swallowing shards of glass yeah, like that. It just looked like the guys running down the court were just physically fatigued. And that was something that going into the game, I, I was down uh, visiting some family in Louisville on Friday afternoon before the game. And I was driving back up and I was talking to my girlfriend and I was like, tonight's game just kind of feels like this is a game. And I, and I tweeted it before the game, the game on Friday just kind of felt like it was a game where either no, nobody plays and you get blown out, you lose by 25 and it's okay. Nobody played whatever. You don't even think about it again. And you just toss it to the wind or it's a game where Xavier digs deep, somebody steps up because you knew somebody had to step up. Somebody somebody that was healthy and wasn't getting beat down by whatever was going around with the team was going to have to step up and play well. And it's Nate Johnson who scores over half of the team's points. He scores 30 of the 59. And that's a collegiate career high for him. And, you know, outside of him, Dewan Odom played well. Uh, we could go, we can get more into the game specifically, but that game on Friday just felt like somebody was going to have to step up and be the hero. And it was Nate Johnson. Yeah. Well, when it came out that 
three guys weren't playing, Deontay Miles, Colby Jones, and Jerome Hunter. And you knew based off of the the first game that Kunkel didn't play in that one. So he's definitely probably not feeling like himself. And Paul Scruggs was clearly dealing with something. I mean, Travis Steele acknowledged that in the post game after the Virginia Tech win. Um, I think a lot of people have just said that's a throwaway game at this point. Like, yeah, they're not going to win this one. It's And what what can you really say about it? Because they're not even close to being a real team. But when you pull that win out, that's a massive game all of a sudden. I mean, again, it's a quad one neutral site win, which you get to the end of the year. That, that's what everyone's looking for to point to is like, yeah, we've got those big wins on our resume. And uh, that's one that Xavier's going to be able to go back and and point to. And I don't think a lot of people thought that they'd be able to. You want to talk about like maybe some good and bad from yeah. last week overall, just what we saw Let's in the it. games. Let's start with the bad. To me, the most disheartening thing, I think, about the Iowa State loss, there are probably two things. One was the defense, obviously, and giving up 82 points to Iowa State. But more specific to me was seeing Jerome Hunter go three for 12 from the field, 0 for 6 from three-point range. And the way that the offense continued to just kind of fall apart, particularly in the second half there where – Iowa State is clearly leaving him open. They're clogging the lane a little bit, worried about Jack Nungy, worried about Colby Jones, and Xavier continues to play in their hands, and Jack shots up uh, with Jerome Hunter, who they're leaving open from the perimeter. Colby Jones barely gets any touches, didn't use many possessions in that second half of the game. I think that was the toughest thing to watch from a Xavier fan perspective because it felt so much like the situation at the end of last year when you had Jason Carter and no one was guarding him and he just <laughs> continued to shoot. It was like, okay, I, I understand the idea of it's a great shot. You think this guy, Jerome Hunter, or last year Jason Carter is capable of making threes, and that's part of why he's on the floor for you, but he's not. And he hasn't proven that he can at any point so far since he's been here. You can't just keep doing exactly what the defense is trying to get you to do. I, I get why everyone was frustrated watching that. It was sloppy overall. The turnovers, the, the defense, the offensive execution, everything just kind of seemed off. But yeah, to your point, we always talk about so much. You want to step into those open threes. You want to take the open threes when you get them. But at the same time, if you're playing right into the opponent's hands by taking those open threes, because that's exactly what Iowa State wanted you to do. Like that's exactly what they were setting themselves up for. And they said, hey, look, if we're going to lose, it's going it's to be because Jerome Hunter beat us. And Jerome Hunter did not at any point. I mean, he just, he looked off his shots and it's not even that he was missing the shots. They weren't even really close either. I mean, they were, they were bricks. They, they were not even close. And it was just one shot after another, after another where it wasn't working. And then it just kept digging yourself into a bigger hole and a bigger hole that you couldn't climb out of. And they showed a lot of promise in the first half to be down by as much as they were in a first half that took, what felt like an hour to play it's just so many stoppages and i looked down at my watch at like i don't know 735 after it'd been going on for like half hour 40 minutes and there had been like 11 minutes gone in the first half and it just it never felt like there was a ton of flow but then you go into the half with i think it was a one-point lead and you're thinking okay you got some of those cobwebs out from the first few minutes paul scruggs he got hit in an uncomfortable place and then he never really looked like himself afterwards. And it just, it just felt like everything in the second half that you thought they were going to be able to build off in the last five minutes, of the first half, they went into halftime and then it just kind of devolved in those first few minutes. I was staying on, I went on what I think was a nine Oh run in the first few minutes of that second half in the first war. And then Xavier never got it back. And you look at, you know, Jerome Hunter, who didn't play well. Paul Scruggs had a historically bad game. Somebody posted it on the message board. Was it the worst performance by a Xavier player in a Ken Palm era? Was, did I read that post right? I kind of skimmed over it. It was uh, something along of offensive rating. Yeah, it was like, yeah. one. Of, I can't remember if it was the worst or one of the worst, but he, look, he was one for 14 from the field. He sucked. Point blank yeah. period. That's like, you're never going to see Paul Scruggs play that bad again. And yeah. it was very clearly, you know, we were all talking about him getting hit in the nuts, but it's very clear after the fact now that he was dealing with illness too. You could see yeah. him holding his chest at one of the, uh, the one of the dead ball timeouts late in the game. It just wasn't himself. And that kind of leads me to the next point, which was Isaiah Brockington going off for 30 <laughs> and Steele talking about after the game that he was frustrated with his team's lack of attention to detail and then continuing to let him to get to his left hand and be able to score there. It was the first time he'd hit four threes since November of 2017. 
Yeah. And I had written in my uh, matchups article before the game that like he's a non-shooter, you know, he's good in the mid range and around the rim, but he's not a three point guy. And of course he gets off from three point range. So not only do I look stupid, but so does Xavier's defense. And you know, the, the three pointers he hit, especially like the first one he got off where Jack Nungy's hounding him, chasing him after a switch in the corner or a long rebound, I think it was. And he like does a step back fade away in the corner in front of Xavier's bench. And it's like, all right, that's not great when that guy is throwing that in. And I think he banked one in in the second half. So, you know, that that kind of is what it is. But from the standpoint of Steele saying, you know, fr- being frustrated with his guy's lack of attention to detail and you can't let him get to his left. I think that was another one of those moments where fans were going, oh, no, here we go again. Because that was kind of the things we heard last year at times where it's like St. John's, you get attention to detail. They're going to try to push the ball in transition and get easy layups. And we didn't stop them in transition from getting easy layups. Our guys weren't locked into that detail of the game plan. And there's been other things like that, where it's different players going to their left hand or guys that want to pump fake and drive you on the perimeter. He's brought that up multiple times where it's like, our guys didn't focus and lock in on the details of the game plan. And I think a lot of people got frustrated with that and, and hearing that. And I, I, that makes a lot of sense to me as well. Although when I went back and actually watched this game, there are a couple of things I noticed. One is that Isaiah Brockington was incredible. Like there was that play that they were running where it was the handoff coming off the elbow near the free throw line. And everyone was like, they're running the same play over and over. And it's like, well, they ran it like four times and he got two step back mid range jumpers where there was someone right in front of him trying to guard. And one time it was Deontay miles on like the first possession of the game. And then he got two where he was going towards his left and finished over like Jerome Hunter and Colby Jones on one of them from outside the lane where it was, yeah, maybe you'd be better off just stopping him from ever even getting over to that left side of the court and, and jumping the ball screens or hard hedging or something going away from what you've just changed. But in terms of like contesting the shot and staying with him, they did a decent job. He just made a really difficult shot. And then there was one where he ripped right past Paul Scruggs, went to the rim and laid it in. And Paul Scruggs just wasn't himself. And the more I watched, the more I came back to, he got 30 because Paul Scruggs wasn't himself. Paul Scruggs didn't have much fight in that game. And there were not just that one where they were doing the dribble handoff play at the elbow, but there were two other times where he went right by Paul and got to the rim or got fouled and and got easy points that way. So I think part of it was him knowing that Paul couldn't keep up with him in that game and his confidence continuing to build. And then he hits like a step back fadeaway in the corner from three. (laughs) And then his confidence gets even more off the chart. So it was one of those things where you're watching the game, you're going, oh, geez, this isn't good. How are they letting this guy continue to do whatever he wants? How are they letting him get to his left hand constantly? Then you hear Steele say that in the, in the postgame presser, and you're thinking, that's that sounds a lot like last year. But then you go back and you watch the game, you're thinking, if Paul Scruggs is himself, this is probably a different story. And also, you got to tip your cap sometimes. Like, that guy was awesome. He hit, he hit multiple incredible shots that he doesn't ever really hit. And uh, I, I think that, you know, there's, there's definitely room to be annoyed at that, at him going off for 30 and him getting to his left hand as often as he did. But I also don't think it was as bad as it initially felt. Yeah. And you mentioned it a little bit too on, on Xavier's end. I thought Colby Jones wasn't maybe as aggressive as he could have been in the second half. And especially when Xavier really needed a bucket, maybe to stop that scoring that, that Iowa state was going on those runs. It felt like Colby maybe was Xavier's best player in the first half and was looking for a little bit more out of him in the second half. And he just never really got into his groove in the second half or, or maybe not, maybe that's not even the right way to put it. Maybe he just wasn't as aggressive as he should have been as attacked to find some of those shots that he felt like he might've needed to get in that second half. Did you see it the same way? Yeah. I think that's a breakdown by three parties. One Colby Jones, He's been a let the game come to him type of guy, and I understand that. But we've also talked about this year. He's clearly the one of the go-to guys along with Paul Scruggs while Zach Fremantle is out. And that's been recognized by everyone. His teammates understand that. His coaching staff understands that. He has to understand that. Like He has to go get the ball and be more aggressive and create some offense for this team if they're in that second-half situation. Also, his teammates. Jerome Hunter, for instance. Why are you continuing to take these threes when – Colby's not getting touches. They've got to recognize that stuff on their own. And then third, the coaching staff too, like they're the ones that got to get them in position. And if they're not getting Colby Jones, the ball, even if it's been said, maybe you have to say something at the next time out and run something specifically for Colby. And one thing that the staff and Steele has done an excellent job of this year is 
getting set plays after timeouts. I mean, it seems like every time they come out of timeout, they're getting a really good look at the basket and oftentimes dunks or layups. So, you know, that's not something I fault them in terms of drawing up sets out of timeouts, but I do think you have to put your guys in position to succeed as often as possible. And in the second half of that game, Colby Jones just didn't have the ball nearly enough. He wasn't making enough plays for this team. And I, I put that on everybody because everybody has to be cognizant of that. But yeah, I mean, that was, that was clearly a major issue. One more that I thought was a major weak spot for Xavier and something that's concerning is you go three for 21 from three point range in another high major game against Iowa state. They had 17 turnovers, like you mentioned, which was, was kind of sloppy, but the three point shooting for me is how many, how many times is that going to happen? It's one thing to not be a good shooting team, but to have these games where you just almost give yourself no chance. I mean, three for 21, not a lot of teams you're going to be able to beat that way unless you're just superior to them in almost every other aspect of the game. Yeah, no, I'm totally with you because if if they can't respect the jump shot, they can't that changes the whole defensive scheme of the entire game. And if they're just going to sit out there and sag back into the paint and let you take wide open threes and they know for a fact that they can put a couple of guys under the rim and rebound and just get a free possession, it's almost like a turnover, really. And that's how it breaks down. And at some point, you have to feel like Xavier. Okay, so Nate Johnson got hot on, on Friday night, right? But like as a team, Xavier's going to have to have a game like Norfolk State against a high major opponent to be able to show that kind of a life from three point range, or else they're defensively these teams are going to do the same thing against Xavier every single time. And that yeah. that, that that's that's not. It's tough to say that that's like a like a coaching thing because at some point. You look at these shots. Now, I know we just talked about Jerome being wide open because that's what they're letting him do because they know he's not going to make the shots. But like at some point when you have these open shots, they're going to have to like start going in at some point, not necessarily like a coaching thing where if they're open and they're getting the shots they want, then they're just going to have to start making them. But that's the same thing we've been saying for the last three and a half years. Yeah. And like put the Jerome Hunter thing aside because that's, kind of a, a different issue. Just look at the whole team because it's not just him. And it's been the same problem for a couple of years now, different players supposed to be good shooters. And at times they are, I mean, Nate Johnson is obviously a great shooter. I don't think anyone's questioning that um, Adam Kunkel, I think can shoot. He's still got to prove himself a little bit more, obviously, but like they've had shooters and for whatever reason, they have way too many games every year where no one can make a shot. And it seems like they're getting decent looks. Now, what do you attribute that to? I really don't know because there's other games like <laughs> the Virginia Tech game where Nate Johnson goes off and he shoots it well, or there's been other games where the whole team shoots it well at times and prove that they can do it. And I understand that they're always going to be outlier performances, but I think it's more than just that. And I can't put my finger on it because it's not like they don't move the ball. It's not like these shots are always bad looks at the rim. It's not like they're always coming from the wrong guy. Again, the Jerome Hunter situation is a separate issue and that needs to be addressed. But like, if we're not thinking about just that, and there's plenty of other examples of Xavier getting the right shots by the right guys and they're still not shooting well. I I don't know what the answer there. At some point it is going to be like, okay, what is it with this offense that no one can shoot well within it? And it doesn't make sense to me. I can't put my finger on it because I think the looks are the right look. I think the guys that are getting them are capable of making them. I don't know what you change to make more threes with the, with the group you've got. And again, looking forward, you've got more shooters coming in next year in that recruiting class. Tyrell Ward and Camcraft are big time shooters for Travis Steele to add to the arsenal. So I expect them to figure this thing out and for them to get better as a shooting team. They continue to bring in more skill and more talent, but it's concerning. I mean, it is concerning when you continue <laughs> to have these games where you're like three for 21 and there's not really a, a great answer. As for, well, I mean, this one was a little bit more because six of those misses were Jerome Hunter. And I think yeah. it's pretty simple to say, like, he shouldn't have more than two or three misses in a game like that. It, it just if, he, if he's not making one for three, then it's probably time for him to start passing up some open looks. When I was watching that game on Wednesday night, I, I just kind of got this vibe. I was sitting there and I was thinking back to Thanksgiving tournaments of the past and how Xavier has fared in some of them. And used to be that Xavier would never win. It would, used to be that Xavier on over Thanksgiving was just you just chalked it up and you said, OK, let's just survive into the next week. And then through the end of Chris Mack's time at Xavier, they started to really get a lot of momentum over Thanksgiving and started to win some of those tournaments and really started to kind of show nationally what kind of a team they were. And then 
I think it was back in 2000 and I think it was the 1718 season in Las Vegas where they won on Thanksgiving against I think it was it was George Washington, I think, and then came back the next night against Arizona State and just totally laid an egg and it didn't looked uninspired, looked terrible and got blown out. And I think that was the most points that Xavier had ever allowed in the Ken Palm era against Arizona State, 102 points, I think it was in that game. And then uh, it, it just, Xavier obviously went on to have the season that they had in 2018, but it just kind of gave that. Now, I'm not comparing the two because Xavier was sick on Wednesday and had pieces out, but I'm just saying to lay an egg like that over Thanksgiving kind of gave me that same sort of vibe. Oh, it seems like it happens a lot with Xavier's program, but not just Xavier. You look around the country and look at some of the scores we've seen over the last week. I mean, there are some absolute shockers out there. And, and really, it probably shouldn't be shockers at this point, because not only are we dealing with uh, the early season neutral site tournaments that are always a little funky here, but you've got the transfer portal this year and the super seniors from COVID. You've got you've got some rosters out here at the mid-major ranks and the low-major ranks that have a bunch of guys that are 24 years old on them. Like NKU's been, we're looking at some of these rosters for these games we're doing. And it's like, this guy's 25, this guy's 24, this guy's 23, (laughs) you know, three or four guys that are well over the the normal graduate age for, for college players. So that does make a difference when you're playing against some grown men who aren't scared of anything. And they don't really care what their coach care, what their coaches are telling them. They're just out there hooping. Um, Yeah. It, it can make for some interesting situations here, especially in those early season neutral site tournaments. Do you have any uh, other bad things that you want to list off or you want to go to some of the good from last week? No, let's move to the good, Rick. All right. Um, (laughs) Well, first of all, Nate Johnson, you know, he's been shooting. Okay. I guess overall, like his percentage, but there hasn't been, it hasn't been that same feel as last year, especially early in the year when he was almost automatic, he got open looks and he would knock them down every single time. Not only did he do that in the game against Virginia tech, but he was making some difficult ones and just picking this team up when they needed it the most. There was no one else that looked capable of doing it on that night. And thankfully for Xavier, Nate Johnson was out of his mind. Good because they, uh, I don't think they had any other options. No, no, you're exactly right. And and especially the game winner that he had, that was, it was, it was a good closeout, good contest. And Nate just, just hit it in his face. It was a great shot and props to, to Dewan for the game Big that he play. had, uh, you know, Dewan driving in um, and, and kicking that out a, a great look to drive in and to find him in the air. I mean, he left his feet, found him and it was a great pass. That's the other thing too, that we've talked about sometimes is making sure those passes are into a shooting pocket, setting guys up. Cause if you're passing the shot, you know, passing the ball down into a, into your right hip for a shot, that's, you know, where you want it as opposed to like if you're having to reach above your head or you're reaching, you know, somewhere else. It was a perfect pass, you know, a perfect spot for a guy that had been hot all night. And, and that and Dwan kind of capped off his night by doing that. And I thought the connection between those two guys, Dewan as a whole, had a great game. Um, I think he only had two turnovers. So the the pot, the most positive thing of the week was Nate Johnson and to see him carry over some of that. To from and look, I, I'm not to read too much in a Norfolk State, but like to have a shooting game like that and then not to totally drop off individually through the week, I, I thought was a really promising thing for him to to have that confidence and to show. And we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, where look, if, if you're Nate Johnson and you shot as well as you were going to shoot last year, you felt like there was going to be a little bit of a regression. Obviously, kind of a regression to the mean, but you're not going to get 30 points out of him every night. But when you needed him to, when you needed somebody to step up, he did it. And he was kind of the perfect candidate to do it on a night like that when Paul still wasn't feeling himself and uh, Colby's not playing, Deontay's not playing. And, you know, you're looking for that go-to score that I don't think Dewan is right now. That Nate sort of fit that mold, right? Going into the game, he, he kind of fit that that criteria to be the guy if he was able to get hot from three, and he did. The biggest thing, too, is looking forward, Nate was off to a slow start, and now it's like, okay, where does a 30-point game like that where you go 7 of 11 from three take him? Because if he catches fire here all of a sudden, everything gets a little bit easier for everyone else. And you could see that with Dwan. Part of the reason Dwan had a little more room to operate in that Virginia Tech game is because they were having to chase Nate wherever he went, and they were hugged up on him every time he came around a screen or anything else. They couldn't give him an inch 
to breathe or he was going to hit another three on him. So all of that helps everybody else on the floor too. And especially a player like Juan, who I think was another one of the positive signs. He had gotten off to a slow start. He had been struggling this year. There were times where they couldn't even play him because of the way that he was playing. And it wasn't just his offense. He hadn't been very good defensively either. In the last week, he plays in those two games where they're a little bit shorthanded because Kunkel was out the first game and Scruggs wasn't really in himself in either game. And he comes back and, and plays well, 29 minutes the first game, 30 minutes in the second game. And I thought he was really solid all the way around. I mean, the numbers aren't going to jump out at you, but he was hitting some mid-range jumpers. He was getting to the rim occasionally. And then he was running the offense, getting that ball moving like he does and playing much better defense than he's been. Yeah, and the the one other positive that I took out individually um, from Friday night's game was Cesar Edwards. Yes, he played. He played. Uh, let me check in here. Fourteen minutes, but I texted you during the game when I was watching it. It just felt like he he you knew he was going to get some run just because Xavier needed bodies, and so you knew he was going to get some minutes, and he gets fourteen. And I thought he made the most of it. I thought. He didn't go out there. He was not a liability, which you were just hoping that he wasn't. You were hoping that he could at least be neutral and not be a liability. And even more so than being neutral, I thought he positively contributed to the game on both ends of the floor. There were a couple, I think there was probably one lapse on each end of the floor, and you mentioned it in your post-game article. But really, I thought that you know, who knows how many minutes he's able to get going forward when the whole team comes back. But to have a game like that where you showed like, hey, we're going to need you tonight. We're going to need you for little stretches because these big guys can't play all 40 minutes of the game. And, and the way the lineups are going to have to move out, he's going to have to play. And he goes in there and he has himself a nice little night. It was kind of cool be- that it came in that manner because it was real game action. It was him getting thrown into the fire and playing meaningful minutes. It wasn't, okay, he yeah, he's playing well for the final seven minutes against a bye opponent that you're up by 30 and he might be playing against their second string and their first string weren't any good to begin with. So it's like, what does this really mean? Right. He's playing against sub JV roster, essentially. That wasn't this, that this was real game action against an ACC opponent. That's picked to finish in the top. What was it? Five. I think in the ACC, I think they're picked to finish fifth in the ACC this year. And I didn't know how it was going to go. You could have told me they were going to put him out there and he was going to be swimming defensively. And things were getting, you know, whipped behind his head and they were back screening him and they were back cutting him and doing all types of things and just getting easy dunks and layups around him. Because there's been times in practice where, quite frankly, he looks a little overwhelmed defensively. The system has been a lot for him to take in. It is for any freshman. And um, they've been, you know, changing ball screen coverages with the big men and stuff like that. So I could have seen him coming in and just not being ready for it defensively at all. Offensively, he's had some great flashes in practice. He shows that he can hit some mid-range and even beyond that shots. He looks like he can score around the rim. He's got pretty good athleticism. And even though he needs to get more physically developed in the weight room, he's already a pretty strong kid that can hold his own to a certain extent. So, you know, on one hand, it's like Deontay Miles has clearly been the better big man in practice on a regular basis. On the other hand, Cesar Edwards has definitely shown some promise, and I think he probably has more tools to work with than Deontay, and there's a lot of upside there. So so I, it was interesting to see him get in there and the moment not be too big for him and him not try to do too much. When he got his mid-range jumper late in the second half, which is kind of his sweet spot right now, he went to work and he, he faced up and he knocked it down. And then other than that, he was grabbing some strong rebounds and doing as well as he could, I think, defensively. I, I thought he gave them some, some really good minutes, and if you're a Xavier fan, that's that's pretty exciting to see that he's already starting to figure it out defensively and can hold his own physically in there. Yeah, I did too. I I thought he was really impressive and somebody that has just continued to impress the whole time through the whole season is Jack Nunji. Uh, Jack scored nine points uh, on Friday night. Uh, but I, I think just defensively his ability under the basket, I think and they're starting to be some more conversation and kind of gain some more momentum momentum about, what this lineup is going to look like when Fremantle comes back and how you mix both of those guys together. But Xavier plain and simply would not be where they are right now at five and one without how well Jack has played. And I think his ability to pass, to, to find some guys cutting to the basket, there was a play, the off ball movement from Dewan Odom. There was a play. Uh, I think it was late in the second half where uh, Jack got double teamed in the post. Dewan saw it cut off the wing 
And Jack kind of just being seven feet tall, tossed it over two guys' heads, and Dewan had an easy dunk. Like, those are the kinds of things that it feels like Jack has been able to find and do. He hasn't stretched himself out to take an overwhelming amount of shots from deep. He's showed that he can make one or two, but he's not just going out there and chucking it up from three. I think all around, again, I don't think this team is five and one without the the play of Jack Nungie, which is even more impressive when you think about physically where he is coming back off an injury and everything combined. Well, that might've been the brightest spot of his week is that he played over 30 minutes in both games and I didn't see any ill effects. He didn't look like he was gassed. Uh, His knee looked like it was holding up just fine. So that's a huge positive right there. Uh, But you're right. I mean, the way he played and he's got some gravity going towards him from the defense too. Like you saw in the second, people were saying he didn't get enough shots in the second half of the Virginia tech game after he had a good first half on the offensive end, but he actually used more possessions. I believe in the second half or it was like, even it was seven and one, six and the other. I can't remember which was which, but he, he used the same amount of possessions, but he was just passing the ball. He was keeping it moving. They were bringing some help. And you mentioned uh, like the off ball movement. There was one play late in the game. I think people remember where Dwan cut on the opposite side and he just dumped it over him and Dwan got a dunk out of it. But there are some other plays like that too, where they're trying to send cutters on that backside because they're bringing help over. So yeah, Jack, Jack is, has already been a big part of what they're doing. I think he's only going to continue to be a bigger part on the offensive end and really defensively. He's not great. He doesn't move very quick laterally, but he's so long and he's tough enough inside <laughs> and he rebounds so well that he really is giving them a different perspective that they just didn't have last year. I mean, you think when they're running out Zach Fremantle and Jason Carter, Fremantle's maybe six nine with some decent athleticism, but Carter's, you know, six eight at best. You just don't have near that same presence in the paint uh, with Nungy's length at a plus seven foot wingspan. So yeah, I, I think he's been a really, really big positive. This I had one other one for you. The smaller lineup. We saw this. We've seen it at times, but we saw it a lot in this Virginia Tech game because they just didn't have the options with both Hunter and Miles out. They could only play one big at a time, really, and they had to play four guards. And it wasn't even Colby Jones as the forward putting a wing there. I mean, it was true guards. It was Paul Scruggs or Nate Johnson as your four, essentially. And it looked pretty good, I thought. I'm always a bigger fan of playing a more spread out offense, having a wing down there at the forward position, assuming they can rebound. It worked out great with Trayvon. I think it'll work out really, really well with Colby Jones if you put him there. But even without that, they still looked pretty darn good playing that four out lineup with all guards in there and one big. I think that's something that, you know, it's matchup dependent to a certain extent, but sometimes it's not even like the other team might be playing a bigger lineup and you think, well, let's just make them guard us on the perimeter. Instead of worrying about us being able to rebound against them, why don't they come out and guard us on the perimeter with all those big guys that they've got? And you can you can put them in some tough situations there. So I don't know if you had any thoughts on the smaller lineup, but I thought that was a positive too. No, not really anything to add to that, but I, I did I did notice the same thing. And I agree with you that there are sometimes now, and especially in today's game and today's version of basketball where you can exploit some of those weaknesses defensively. And, you know, you look at a guy on Xavier's end, like Deontay Miles, who we've seen had to get switched onto some smaller guys and he's done pretty well, but offensively on the other end, sometimes that can prove to to be a huge strength. And if you can get some of those smaller lineups to perform, if you can get them to shoot well, uh, those kinds of things, then, then, uh, you know, it'll pay off. And I think you're exactly right. But the the one thing, uh, big picture here that I'll be curious to hear what you have to say to this, Rick. Do you think that given the circumstances and everything surrounding Friday, do you think there is any any conversation that here, I'll just ask it straight up. Ohio State or Virginia Tech, a better win. Ohio State. I think I think Ohio State's a better team than Virginia Tech uh, long haul. But I mean, you know, it's going to matter what both of those teams are going to rack up a lot of high major wins in their conferences. So I, I think both of them to be certainly in the top half of their conference without a doubt. I think Ohio State's been a little bit of a letdown so far, but they also haven't been themselves yet and not had everybody at 100 percent. So we'll see what they're like here in a month or so when Justice Suling gets back into the mix yeah. more and and um Kyle Young is back to himself a little bit more. I think they'll be all right. So I'd still go Ohio State, but I think that, you know, the Virginia, they're both going to be quad one wins. That, that's yep. the great thing. So uh, I think there's there's no doubt that they'll both be quad ones. And uh, the Iowa State game, uh, 
I think it's it's going to end up being fine in terms of like it's not going to be a bad loss. They're ranked top 25 right now. I think they're going to be good enough that it's not going to be a bad loss. And really, that game is more about the frustration, I think, of seeing some things creep up that you've seen in the past than it is the actual loss itself. So assuming that was more about the team was sick and they just weren't themselves and they can get past some of the issues that plagued them in that game and has plagued them in in previous years, I think there's a lot of positives really to take away from last week overall. Yeah, I'm with you. So do you have anything more from last week before we move into this week? I I think there's two more things that we need to talk about, and they're not really on the good or bad side. They're just kind of others that we need to, to speak of. Sure. One is Kiki Tandy. It's been, I mean, like, it's not something that I've talked a lot about this year because I didn't see him as a big part of this team. Fans disagree with me, clearly. Uh, It's a nonstop conversation on the message board. I see it on Twitter constantly. So I guess it's worth bringing up, especially after a game in which he played 16 minutes. I think that was mostly out of necessity. He goes 16 minutes against Virginia Tech, gets three points. He was one of three from the field, had a rebound and a turnover, also had three fouls. What were your thoughts on Kiki Tandy's performance? Well, he came in and he had a great start to the game. He hit that three almost right away when he got into the game. And you're starting to think, okay, well, maybe this is a game kind of like Cesar where he's going to have to play. He's going to have to get some minutes. And this is a game where maybe you could see him score six, eight, ten points if he can hit a few shots. But then it felt like I think he ended up taking three shots in the game and they were all threes. And the two that he missed, at least one of them felt kind of forced. And then I started to look at it and think to myself, okay, are we doing the same? Are we doing the same kind of thing here? Or are we just going around in circles and doing the same thing? I I did notice on the very last play, on the, the very last you know effort offensively for Virginia Tech, Kiki was right under the basket. I don't know if you noticed this. Kiki was right under the basket. And I don't want to say it was totally his responsibility to block out, but he was kind of facing the other way. And Virginia Tech had a pretty good look on a putback to win the game on a basically a tip in. Yeah, it was basically a tip in, and I I couldn't really tell on the angle in the camera whether it was Kiki's to block out, but you could see him looking in the, the other direction. And I was thinking, okay, well maybe this is just the camera angle of how he's looking, but at the same time. Xavier kind of escaped that one at the end. Well, and it, it, they, they did. And it doesn't have to be just that play either. I mean, there's probably yeah. 10 other plays where you can point to what's going on in a given play and see what's Kiki doing right there. Where's, where is he? And why is he there? Uh, everyone's made this out to be like, he just can't play defense. And that's the sole reason for him not being out there. I don't think that's true. Now that is certainly a big part of it because he can give you something offensively as a shooter. Uh, but look, I've been at a lot of practices there's not one time I've watched and thought Kiki should be playing ahead of anybody else. Take that for what it is. You, you can come to whatever conclusions you want when you hear that. But my thing would be like, if Xavier's issue this year is whether or not Kiki Tandy is getting minutes, then things went really wrong and they have way bigger issues than whether or not Kiki Tandy is, is playing. I, I don't want to rip the kid. I feel bad kind of talking about it like this, but quite honestly, aside from shooting, I don't see what he does well enough to play at this level. He he can make threes and he has a decent vertical leap. Aside from that, he turns it over too much. He doesn't really play within an offense. He doesn't make teammates better by keeping the ball moving. Uh, Defensively, he is a total liability. Yeah. Uh, So he doesn't really rebound. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like what as a coach, yeah, I understand the idea of you want to make shots and sometimes your offense isn't going, you think uh, some instant offense and maybe there is a role for him in that regard of like, get him off the bench for a few possessions at a time. Hope he can heat it up and as a microwave and, and get you a three or two and five possessions and then get him back out of there. But like playing him over top of these other guys, you're just giving away possessions on both ends of the court. And I don't know a coach in America that's willing to do that. I mean, just turnovers and guys throwing up shots that aren't, and they're not looking for, and then people are going to point to, okay, but Jerome Hunter did this. Da, da, da. Yeah, but there are other things that all those guys are doing to contribute to winning. He, he doesn't really give you any of those, unfortunately, right now. I mean, he's just, he's got to make a commitment to getting better at every other aspect of the game and just trying to fit in as opposed to going all in on like, when I'm out here, 
I'm going to get mine. Yeah. To, to this point, that hasn't happened. And so I just don't really see how we could find many more minutes going forward. Again, I, I understand the idea of if there's a game like Iowa State, maybe where you just can't get shots to go down, maybe you look a little bit earlier than the final few minutes to get them out there for a couple possessions. But I also like most of the time, if you're trying to make a comeback, you can't be giving up layups. You can't just be giving away possessions on either end of the court by making a substitution like that. You got to pile up stops. So it's it's a tough spot to try to find minutes for him, quite honestly. I I don't think it's a conversation worth having in the way that everyone in Xavier Nation wants to have right now. But, you know, especially in a game where he played 16 minutes, I, I guess it was worth talking about. Yeah. The one other thing is Zach Fremantle. He has been medically cleared. Adam Baum reported that first. I want to give him credit because he was he was there on the road with the team and following all that. He's been medically cleared to return to all activities. We'll see him in practice this week. I think he'll be available right away as soon as Wednesday against Central Michigan. It's not going to be like Zach Freeman will play in 25, 30 minutes right off the bat and everything just goes back to normal, I don't think. The question is, by the time they play Oklahoma State, what, if anything, can he give you? And right now, I just don't think we have the answer to that, though I do think he'll get some minutes in that game if I had to guess. My guess is they'll try to get him on the floor. Yeah, so Central Michigan is the worst team that Xavier will play by Ken Palm. Central Michigan is the worst team that Xavier will play this season. They're 315th, um, but Oklahoma State is 38th. They are right now 6-1. and one. Oklahoma State does have to play Wichita State uh, on Wednesday, um, but Oklahoma State hasn't really played anybody either. Uh, they, they've only played one Ken Palm top 100 team, and that was NC State, who's 59th. They beat them by six. But Oklahoma State did lose to the fighting Greg Campies from Oakland by one. Horizon so, League. It's tough. <laughs> I know. You can Growing men out here, son. <laughs> um, yeah, so so then you have they, they also State. They also went into overtime with Oral Roberts. Now, granted, that was at Oral Roberts, but they won by two in overtime against Oral Roberts, too. Yeah. So, again, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about before the season with Oklahoma State and who knows what we can expect uh, on Sunday. But I think to your point with Fremantle playing, Travis kind of insinuated that. Uh, I think yesterday he did an interview about it. Yesterday, the day before, I can't remember when I watched it. But he was kind of talking about how they want to ease Zach back into it. They'll probably see a few minutes on Wednesday, but nothing crazy enough to get him a standing ovation. And then that'll probably be about it. Maybe get him a, a handful of possessions. And then yeah, after a couple more days of practice, maybe you see him do a little bit more on, on Sunday. Do you think Rick that looking at the calendar and the way it's going to play out because you have three games now before the shootout on the 11th, do you look at Wednesday, Sunday, Wednesday before the shootout, that maybe by the 11th, he's closer to that 25-minute range? I think so. And Zach is a guy who's always going to push the envelope when it comes to this thing. I mean, he was. I heard a story where uh, when every – I don't know if I'm allowed to tell this or not, but when everything was locked down during COVID, like right at the beginning, and they were putting like locks on, like the, the chain-link fences yeah. at parks to get on the basketball court and stuff like that, he had climbed a fence that was locked so he could go shoot at a park. And like, I think he'd gotten into a little bit of trouble for that. And not a big deal. Just, you know, people had to be like, hey, you can't do that. And then next time they went back, the uh, the rims had been taken off the baskets completely. So uh, <laughs> no one could do that again. But I mean, that's just who he is, right? I mean, he's a total gym rat, loves to play. So he's going to be trying to go full bore as soon as he's able to get back out there. So it's more from a coaching pers- coaching staff's perspective, it's more of a thing like, can he do more damage? Can he re-injure himself if we let him go out and play? Or is this more about, how many minutes can he play and how much is he going to be like himself? And, you know, if the answer is the latter, then my guess is you're probably going to get more minutes than you'd expect out of Zach Freeman or by December 11th, the cross down I'm probably more even by the Oklahoma state game on Sunday. If the answer is, yeah, you want to take it easy because there's a chance he could re-injure it or something like that. Then you probably need to hold him back for his own good because he's not going to be able to hold himself back at all. So you know, it, there's not a lot we could say about how much Zach's going to play. We just don't know. And quite honestly, like it's unfair to go into practices and then tell everybody, yeah, this is exactly what Zach's going to do to like everyone keeps asking those questions on the message board. You know, we do some insider stuff, but that's one that's kind of outside the lines. I'm not going to really be allowed back at practice, but coaches take that type of thing pretty seriously. So uh, Travis yeah. is allowed to put out whatever he wants. And sometimes he will give us stuff. Sometimes he won't in terms of guys' timelines, but that's not something where I'm going to be able to give you like 
a lot of extra information on his exact timeline, even if I do know it. Uh, it's it's really not fair to anyone. The bigger question, though, that I'm even more interested in is how would you handle the lineups when he comes back? There's been a lot of talk about that. I think people are surprised to hear that Nunji and Freeman are probably going to play a lot together. To me, that's like an obvious thing. That's what you've been working towards. That's what you've been trying to get to is being able to play those two together again. But a lot of people on the message board seem to think that that shouldn't be the case or won't be the case. They're worried about defense. How do you think the lineup should be handled once Fremantle's back? Well, I think there's no question that you figure out a way to get both of them in there because with the way Jack's playing right now, you feel like you want your best available guys on the court if you can figure out a way to get them in. And that's why the coaching staff has their job is to be able to figure that kind of thing out. And and if you look at some of the past Xavier lineups and how they were able to sometimes shoehorn some guys in there that just had to be on the court at the same time, I, I don't, Zach and Jack are not the same player, but they would bring certainly something to the table, rebounding defensively. I mean, imagine trying to go down in the low post against those two guys at the same time, I, having both of them on the court and then offensively, we've seen Zach. I know it was frustrating to some people last year when he would take, you know, five, six threes a game, but both him and Jack can at least be a little bit of a threat from outside. If they are left open on the three point line, I'm not saying that they're going to take a million threes a game, but I'm just saying that there is that. Yeah. They can both stretch there. the floor. Yeah. Yeah. Legitimately. Yeah. And, and so having them both in at the same time, you throw, you know, Colby, Paul, and then some combination of Adam, Nate, Dewan in there too. You're probably not going to have Dewan in at the same time as, as all those guys, but you rotate through. I, I don't think there's any question. I was kind of in the same wavelength as you, Rick, where I was like, this almost seems like a no-brainer. You got to get yeah, them like, both. Isn't this court. what you were waiting for the whole time? Yeah. Like This was the yeah. original idea I thought was to start Nunji and Fremantle for the most part, assuming everything went well. The other thing that where it works out really well, I think that I'm anxious to see is Nunji is such a good passer. I'd like to see some like block-to-block stuff, some interior passing from the bigs. I think that's very effective when you have two guys that can both really score and one or both of them can really pass too. I think they can be really effective together. But yeah, yeah look, I don't think like the defense is going to be great. Jack and Zach are are giving up a little lateral quickness, obviously. And Zach has had plenty of his issues as a defender in the low post and protecting the rim. But yeah, that's a lot. That's a far cry going from Zach Freeman and Jason Carter as your two big men in the post defending the rim to having Jack Nunji around the post. And I also think it makes a big difference and it makes it a lot easier to play this lineup when you're using drop coverages, as opposed to having everybody hard hedge, recover, Xing out, scrambling, all the stuff that they were doing before you keep that defense tighter. It's a lot easier to play two bigs. And in fact, the extra length and the extra rebounding can be a benefit in that regard. So I think those two will play together a lot. And I don't know exactly what point you get to this, but I think ultimately the ideal lineup is you probably play however you want to work out the guards, but I think it's still probably going to be Paul Scruggs, Nate Johnson, Colby Jones as your starting three in the backcourt. Yep. And you put uh, Fremantle and Nunji together as the four or five in your starting lineup. And then your first sub is Kunkel or Odom off of the bench into one of the guard spots and slide Colby down to the four and take one of the two bigs out. And you slide either Fremantle yep. down to the five or you slide you take him out of the game and keep Nunji at the five. So ultimately I think those are your two best lineups, depending on the opponent is the starting lineup with both bigs or the lineup with Colby Jones at the four and you go small ball a little bit. So that's what I'm looking forward to is them working towards that. I don't think it's quite going to be mostly that at this point, I think there's still other guys that they're going to give a chance. I think Hunter and miles are still going to play a lot of minutes, especially right now. But I do think as we continue to move forward, eventually that's where this team gets to is what that's their two main lineups. And uh, the other guys are playing more ancillary minutes off the bench. Yeah. So just to wrap it up here, looking at the rest of the week, I don't really think there's anything to read into central Michigan, but you look at, you look at Oklahoma state, they're a defensive minded team. They don't really do anything much offensively. Their uh, offensive numbers are, are pretty putrid, but defensively, uh, they're 12th in the country defensively. They have a, a you know, that's that's kind of where they hang their hat. So Xavier's going to have to go out there. They're going to have to hit some shots. They're going to have to work against a team in Oklahoma State that likes to defend. Um, but Rick, any any thoughts on Oklahoma State? I know that this was a game that you had teetered back and forth on a loss or a win earlier this year. But the way Xavier's playing right now, how do you see Sunday going? 
I'm probably still going to have this as a loss. I'm interested to see how Xavier shows up and handles the pressure from Oklahoma State's defense because they're going to get out and deny. They're going to make every pass tough. They don't take anything for granted. If they can get a tip and steal and go the other way on you, they're going to, and they're really good at it. So, like, it's not just that they're um, Illinois when Underwood first got there and they're running <laughs> up down the court and you're just getting layups, like when Xavier played them a couple years ago. It, they're out there in the passing lanes, but they recover well. If you try to drive, they're swiping from help positions and getting steals that way. They protect the rim. They rebound. Uh, and then on the offensive end, they try to get as much in transition as they can. They try to get out and run, get downhill, and uh, get to the rim, draw fouls or score around the basket. They're not shooting well at all from three-point range. But obviously, when you're Xavier, you take that with a grain of salt because it seems like every time you say that about a team, they then go off and shoot really well against you. So uh, I wouldn't hang my hat on planning on them not making threes. <laughs> That doesn't seem to go very well for Xavier, but I I think this is going to be a really good test. And especially coming off that Iowa state game where a defense made them uncomfortable and made things tough on the catch and they didn't handle that well at all. It'll be interesting to see what they do against this Oklahoma state team. Cause it's not really the same style of play, but it's another defense that's really going to make you uncomfortable and, and really pressure your guards and get up in you. So yeah, central Michigan on Wednesday, six 30 FS one Oklahoma state Sunday, 5. PM ESPN two. I'm looking forward to the Oklahoma State game. I think that's going to be pretty telling about where this team's at right now. I'm with you. All right. Well, Rick, thanks for another great week. And for everybody listening, thanks for listening. I know I mentioned it once over the summer, but if anybody's listening on an Apple podcast, wants to leave a little rating or review, maybe in the uh, review. Okay. Well, here we got one more thing we got to talk about. So what are we okay. going to Everyone's mad at me because I took away the zip. I shouldn't say everyone. A few people on the message board are mad at me because I took away the zipper noise from the D- DNV ending. We always close the podcast. Yeah. So be a zipper yeah. noise. Some people want that back. Other, you know, uh, people think we need something. Do you have any ideas? Do you think we go back to the zipper? Do you think there needs to be a new thing? Do you have any ideas? Well, so so when I saw everybody talking about it, I was sitting there and I was thinking, okay, on podcasts I've done before, I can make like a little mashup of like famous calls that Xavier's done and do like an intro. And then I was thinking, okay, how how uh, professional are we trying to do this? Or are we just trying to put like one little noise at the end? Or are we trying to do like a... 20 second intro thing at the beginning yeah no i don't i don't there's no intro that's what I'm, there, there's never been an intro to this podcast and i hate intros on podcasts because like no one wants to wait that's like a self you don't uh, skip through it yeah yeah exactly everyone's just going to try to skip through it anyway that's yeah. a thing for the podcasters intros yeah. are just like sucking yourself off no one cares about that <laughs> no one wants to hear your intro so you jump right into it you give fans value right off the bat I am down for doing uh, an end of the thing noise, but I thought it was more like we had to leave that with the DNV podcast. The DNV podcast was a very unique thing where I don't know if you could ever get three personalities like that in the same show (laughs) together ever again. And I just felt like it needed to be buried and left where it was because that was such a unique thing. And that came to us naturally. The zip them up thing just randomly started after the whole brawl and it worked out perfect. I felt like something like that would come to us that we could use as well. And we just haven't gotten it yet. Is that, Oh yeah. I'm no, I'm with you. It's got to come out. You can't shoehorn it. You can't force it. It's got to come naturally. I mean, if there was something that people thought was definitely, uh, uh, someone texted me that I thought was funny. You can actually do it because it's not clear enough audio, but someone said we should use the that's cash. That sound bite. I was like, yeah, that would be kind of funny, but, uh, no, something will happen this year and we will get, an outro sound effect for the people. Is that perfect? Like a deal that worked. Yeah. That works for me. All All right. right. Cool. Thanks for listening, everybody.